Hi and welcome to the Behind the Wheel podcast, the culmination and brainchild of my own love for cars, but also my own desire to make sure that nobody ever goes through what I've been through, that is hating their 9 to 5 and living only really for the weekends. My name is Muhammad Ali Haji and I am absolutely delighted to be joined by Sean Peter Huber, a man that I was actually introduced to by the one and only Mr. Petrol Hedonism himself, Chiro. Sean is actually the man behind Chiro's car, which is a one-of-one Lamborghini Aventador that quite frankly looks like what God would look like if he was a car. Sean Peter Huber is MD of Huber Automotive Design. He came to the market with the great idea of personalization design for, for car parts so that everyone could have the style of the car of their dreams. This launched his company into massive success and it's something which is rightfully very, very proud of. Here is what you can look forward to during this podcast interview. Um, I think it's important to always remain curious um, and then one will naturally be oneself. And at some stage I thought, okay, let's build something. Let's build something, let's take it from the collection and it's going to have to be the event today. Yes, of course. At the very beginning, I was um, very conscious of the fact that I'm opening myself up to criticism with the first uh, inquiries. But I became more and more comfortable because to have constructive criticism means to get to a, a destination sooner. Sean, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Not at all. The pleasure is all mine. How are you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, this is uh, exciting to be on the on the podcast and uh, you know just uh, connect with you again. And uh, it's you know just talking about cars uh, all day, every day. It gives energy. It is it is a source of of inspiration. It always has been. So that's why I'm you know delighted to be on. No, thank you so much. I mean, obviously, we were introduced by Chiro, who. Um, has his car very recently and I, I looked at it and I was like I need to meet the guy behind that design because that just looks crazy <laughs> appreciate it yeah so the design is uh, is a wonderful baby that was born um, and 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 Chiro is, is the first customer I'm absolutely honored to have have Chiro as the first customer It's it's been quite the journey and it feels like it's just beginning at the same time it's amazing. I mean, tell us a little bit about how the whole happened, about the whole thing happened. Wow. Um, it's a long story, but uh, to try and put it in bullet points, it, it, is the, it is the result of numerous designs that I had done in the last years, uh, all of which almost went into production because they were supposed to be commissioned specifically for for friends and customers in this case who, who wanted to bespoke their cars in on a completely new level, going back to the drawing board and really doing the level of coach building that we all loved in the, in the 70s in Italy and making new molds as opposed to making add-ons, um, which was also great. Um, but we were taking a different approach. Instead of add-ons, lips, spoilers, wings, things like that, uh, it's more about replacing the entire large chunk of a car with a complete new design that complements the the canvas, in this case, the DNA of, of, of the Aventador. 
And I did several of these designs. Unfortunately, they, they hadn't gone into production because for reasons outside of my control, someone then changed their mind. Someone committed to a different car. Um, and, and often also the budgets were, were, you know, not aligning. And, uh, I just, I just thought, you know, I've, I've got a collection of 20, 30, 40 different models of each model. There are different variations, easily five each. So that is a massive, massive collection of designs that haven't hit the road. And the first one that, uh, I did was an event so there's there's like 12 or 13 eras you could say that haven't been built that have you know that they exist in in a in a photoshop uh, reality and i chose my favorite one the one that really required a lot of energy and i just love it and that's the one that's the one that i committed my energy to for the next 3 years to, to bring to the road finally have a design on the road and uh, the wonderful thing is that also the reason why I chose the Aventador uh, for this commitment is that it was nearing 10 years. So this was 20, 2019 when I made that decision. And in 2011, the Aventador was revealed in Geneva. At Jim Swiss, everyone was blown away. And I thought, what what better way to honor that car with, uh, with uh, a tribute set of bumpers wow wow i mean when it comes to kind of a more general on a more general note sean um how do you decide which cars you're gonna you're gonna do some work on well from now looking forward it's very simple we want to stick with lamborghinis it's a wonderful wonderful canvas to to build on the cars have defining lines and contours, which, which make it very easy to create alternatives, different, uh, different uh, versions of the same base vehicle, as opposed to other brands where lines are few and volumes are more present. Like with Porsche, there's, there's less defining lines, there's more volumes, and it's how you shape the design of a, of a Porsche. Essentially, when you sketch it, it's actually by dropping shadows as opposed to drawing lines. And, and uh, that's why the Lamborghini is such a wonderful, wonderful canvas, you know. Uh, ultimately, at the beginning, though, it was, it was a wider range of designs because different people had different cars that they already owned and they were curious about getting a new set of bumpers for. But from now forward, we're very curious to see how far we can uh, create more, more Lamborghini facelifts. Uh, in this case... Uh, Uber facelifts. That's amazing. I mean, I want to I want to quote you here because it really got me thinking. Um, you say in a, I think there was an article a couple of years ago now. Um, we feel that when designing new aero packages for a car, you have to consider both a clean sheet of paper and the north star of its pre-existing DNA as your guide. What does that mean? So that that means that we need to honor. The, the lines that have already been given to us, meaning that the defining contours of a car leading in from the door, from the bonnet, from the trunk, they need to meet somewhere and they end up in the front and the rear bumpers. You have to respect the continuity of these lines. And uh, they set the pace, they set the direction. And if we weren't 
paying attention to the rest of the car, then obviously the bumpers would not look as if they are meant for this car. That's what it means. Right, okay. Because I guess, I guess it must be quite hard to kind of have that balance between trying to be new and creative and also maintain the, the, the feel and the look of the original car, right? Yes, yes, it is. It is. And the thing is, you, you know, when we started off wanting to create something that was different enough, at the same time, there are certain limitations, physical limitations. Um, for example, when we started, the conceptual design looked completely different. And the conceptual design was something that looked cool. But then when we actually managed to get a hold of a car and scan the internals and scan the inside and outside of the, of the bumpers, we realize that there's a cross member that saves lives. And this is the reason why the Aventador has a rear lip that's sticking out because underneath there is this wonderful cross member that saves lives. Uh, so there's no way of, of creating depth there, meaning that you have to build forward or outward in this case, specific to the rear. You, you cannot, you cannot uh, eliminate this cross member. So this is just an example of what it means to work around limitations. But uh, it's, it's part of the DNA of the car. So this is how we create something that's, that's new that uh, is built on the packaging of pre-existing DNA. Yeah, that, 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 that makes sense. I mean, sure, you're in the amazing position of being able to do this stuff every single day and being responsible for a company that you know, is, is able to kind of push the boundaries of creativity and I, I guess work with some really phenomenal cars. Tell us your story and how you've got to where you are so far. Oh, it's, uh, it's not such a complicated story. You know, I was passionate about cars when I was 16 and uh, fast forward, I'm, you know, I'm way, I'm way older now <laughs> than, than I was then. And I'm still, still, still the same person, still very curious to see what kind of designs could affect the, the faces of the fronts of cars and the, and the rears as well. Uh, but the story is I studied, I studied car design uh, straight out of, out of school. I went to Cov Coventry University. Uh, they have a fantastic automotive design course. And that's where it really just all started to become tangible and take on shape. Uh, at the university, you acquire the, the skills, the fun fundamentals that are required to perform a broad range of tasks in the industry, everything from sketching and ideation to 3D modeling, aerodynamics, a little bit of understanding, and, of course, packaging. And uh, all, of these, all of these are tools uh, that, with, with, um, with your own taste, you can align it with, right? And after that, graduation, which is a long time ago, I went off on a series of internships and, um, and you know, a little bit of work experience here and there. I was, I was involved in tram projects, bus projects, motorcycle projects. Um, not really sure if I'm allowed to talk about them, actually, <laughs> because they, they're confidential at the time, but probably not anymore. Uh, I went to India. I was working um, at Mahindra Navistar. Um, we were doing, we were, they do trucks. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with them. And, uh, I was, I was involved in a bus project there, for example, 
in in England, sorry, no, in Europe, I worked at uh, Enthoven Design Associates in in Belgium. They they had a, a wonderful wonderful variety of projects. They were doing buses for and you know for countries that I'm not going to disclose because they were they were government projects. They were doing trams. It was it was really inspirational to see that. Uh, such a broad range of products can be created within one team. It's kind of like Zagato and all of the Italian design houses. It's, it's just really inspirational to see. And um, so, so that, that is basically how I continued acquiring more insight about the, the design industry, the industrial design industry. Oftentimes there was also products that were designed. And um, at some stage, I decided that it was time to get back into cars and leave transportation design in, in behind. As, as awesome as that is, my passion is more in cars. Yeah. Okay. And how, how, how did you know that cars was, was where your heart was at? Is it, was, it, was it kind of uh, what... What gave you that kind of, um, I suppose, uh, instinct, if you like? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting subject because I speak with a lot of people about it. When did you know that you love cars? When did you know that you were obsessed about cars? I ask people this as well. And it's it's a difficult one to pinpoint. I'd say it's gradually things in childhood, particularly my childhood, that that contributed to this interest. My dad, for example, he was a big car fan as well. And he, he had this amazing car in the 90s that unfortunately got stolen from us. But uh, it was the BMW 850, and it was very rare back then. And I was so, so in love with it. And, uh, you know, there's little, little things like that out of, out of the childhood of any, of any person, I'd say, form uh, curiosities. And in, in this case, it was definitely cars. <laughs> I was curious about. That's amazing. I mean, and and you mentioned in your in your career that obviously you you made this change from from one part of I suppose um, uh, vehicles of some sort to then looking at obviously supercars. Tell us about that change in more detail in terms of um, I suppose the challenges of making that change and how you how you perhaps adapted. Yeah, I mean, the, the transition was a steady transition across 24 months where when I was being approached by, by certain people who had cars and knew that I was interested in cars and had already designed some, some products on the market, they said, can one do this to my car? Is this possible? And I started to grow more curious uh, as to how it would be possible um, using, of course, the tools of packaging and, and budget as well, right? So I'd say after 24 months of doing this with certain people, there was, uh, there was a G-Wagon, there was an SLS along the way, there was a, you know, the, as I mentioned, an Aventador as well. There were several cars along the way, and I realized that this is something that one can do, um, make one-of-one one parts, but, of course, it is a, it is a commitment to make a one-of-one one part. Uh, especially for a base vehicle that is is um, already expensive enough, you know. So it's a commitment from anyone, frankly, 
to to want to finance molds and um, go to great lengths. So it wasn't overnight that I said, you know, buses, goodbye, hello, cars. It was more that I was seduced back into looking at cars. And at some stage I thought, okay, let's build something. Let's build something. Let's take it from the collection. And it's going to have to be the Aventador. Because 10 years are nearing and something has to happen with cars. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I mean, just just making that change, um, to what degree were you scared, anxious, worried about making that change? And I guess for anyone who's in the design space or in the creative space, I suppose there was this kind of fear of putting stuff out there. Did that, did that ever occur to you? Yes, of course. At the very beginning, I was um, very conscious of the fact that I'm opening myself up to criticism with the first uh, inquiries, uh, G-Wagon, SLS, as, as the same ones I mentioned, for example. But I became more and more comfortable because to have constructive criticism means to get to a, a destination sooner. And um, by now, I, I, I look forward to hearing criticism. I look forward to hearing input. Of course, hearing that people love the design is is what uh, brings a smile to my face. But naturally, I think everyone who studies design in any field, in, in industrial design, product design, graphics design, web design, needs to put themselves out there and open themselves up for criticism so that they can implement suggestions and then move forward faster. Yeah. In, what, in, in, in your view, um, what do you think stops people from from putting themselves out there apart from that kind of fear of, of negative feedback, if you like, if there is such things as negative as negative feedback, but what is it in your view that you think prevents young people or anyone being more out there in their creative element? Um, it's difficult for me to answer for, for, for other people. But um, I can imagine that a lot of people who don't put themselves out there are probably not curious to find out what other people think specifically about it. I, I think that's the most logical assumption that I can make right now. And also assuming isn't the best thing, but that probably would make most sense. Um, after that, um, probably they have other priorities in life. Ultimately, if if someone is sitting on a design for a month or two months and dedicating a large chunk of their time, I'm sure that if they really want to get it to fruition, they're going to put it out there so that they can get feedback from friends, from family, from customers, from as many people as possible so that they can get a good feel of what the market is like or what the people's opinions are like. But of course, at the same time, it's important to, to make a decision and if you have if you have too many opinions in one room, it's difficult to to move forward and to see the clarity as well, right? So um, it's it's a fine line when it comes to that. It must be a fine line, yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure it is, and I mean it 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 must be one of those things where um, it, it's a constant iteration process, right? I think people have this perception that it needs to be perfect the first time. And I think from what you're saying is that actually 
chances are it will be perfect the first time, but it's a constant process of just keep trying, right? It's 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 a very interesting subject this one because um, you do want to get feedback, for example, um, at the best possible moment where you feel that it's already you've maximized all of your mental energy, all your creative juices. Um, I've always thought there's a there's a funny irony to everything because, at least speaking for myself, the first idea, the first vision, the first design, many times, is 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 what happens to to actually follow through into the second process, is the next phase, the 3D phase, and then production phase, because that the first idea when you envision the design is what made you want to do it in the first place, and. I think that's interesting because if you have an idea and you sketch it out and you spend two days doing different versions, you might find that all the versions were necessary because the first idea was actually really what you wanted and what you thought was best from the beginning. It's what you saw in your mind very clearly. Um, but that's not to say that there are other projects that when you do build something in your mind that you can refine it with a new, with a new perspective now that you've created a sketch now you can see that there've been versions of it that are better how how yeah it does it actually does it actually does i mean how how do you decide which feedback you're going to take and which you're going to i suppose maybe not not take but i suppose not take as seriously if that if that kind of makes sense yeah it does make sense um well, specific to this car, the era, the feedback that was most most important was the feedback from the from the car. So the car actually set parameters. It told us exactly what it wanted, and you really look closely. You can feel how the continuity of some surfaces as they feed into the bonnet, as they feed into the trunk, as they feed into the fenders. It it tells you what it wants, actually. And uh, it's just up to you to, to look for that. Um, then, of course, after those things have been achieved, there are different versions that one can also look at. Um, but then it's essentially about the values that one personally perceives in design. Timelessness, less is more, a few divining volumes, a few defining contours, um, and not to do anything in an over-designing, overbearing um, manner. So this is basically my personal taste, um, and um, I think a lot of people also agree with uh, less is more because it often is more timeless, and it doesn't necessarily um, want to over-emphasize uh, a trend of of a, a certain decade. But that's also very interesting, always looking back at different decades and seeing what the design styles were like, yeah. Yeah. Where, well, just, just on that point, where do you... I mean, obviously you mentioned there the car itself giving you some some inspiration. Where, what other things give you that, that kind of inspiration? Um, well, also regarding the feedback, I think, to answer your, your previous question still. So the car gives us feedback... And also regulations give us feedback. So you know that you don't want to build lower than the previous bumper. You know that you don't want to extend too far into the front. 
uh, also their their regulations where the um, where the edges have to have certain radius thickness so that they aren't actually dangerous upon impact with passengers and and uh, you know dogs all of this uh, is very important to consider because uh, after considering it then you already know this is the framework that we can work in and that that really sets the sets the pace yeah i think it's it's really interesting because i um i i don't think i work particularly in the creative space but there was a there was a a very good Netflix uh, documentary or a series on on creativity and the fact that um, there's a specific part in the brain that is actually activated that is that is uh, uh, responsible for the creative aspect of our of our life and it it seemed to advocate that contrary to what I thought, which is some people are creative, some are not. In actuality, there are there are ways to tap into that creative part of the brain. Do you, do you agree with that? I do believe with that. Uh, I think also there's a massive uh, role to play between the subconscious and the conscious minds and states of minds. Probably um, there's feedback coming from our subconscious continuously that we're not aware of that we probably have implanted. And, uh, and that's, that's essentially something to be, to watch, to be very curious about and to also, uh, try and see if one can control a narrative around, because then one ultimately can get feedback from this wonderful machine, uh, which is the mind, um, the ultimate machine, frankly, and, and, uh, creativity is just one of the, the results yeah i mean it was it was really interesting to watch because um one of the things that kind of got me thinking was that we often think of creativity as being original and being different but it's actually often the byproduct of bringing different things together to then bring about a new thing is that is that fair to say yeah that that makes sense that's similar to saying that a proven concept in one country could be implemented in a, in another country, something like that, I believe. Yeah, yeah, indeed. It's it's uh, it's amazing. I mean, when you look at the cars that that you've uh, been involved with and, and and the designs, it it is it is phenomenal how you've managed to maintain that kind of original DNA, but put in your own kind of spin, if you like. Um, it is it is amazing. Um, I remember reading about the importance for you to actually um, personify and, I suppose, uh, be able to be yourself. Ha- has that been quite a quite a key part for you in terms of your career and your life as a whole? Um, I think it's important to always remain curious, um, and then one will naturally be oneself. Um, of course there, there's so many things that happen personally. I'm just uh, very grateful for, for this particular phase in my life because it's, it's amazing to see a product come to fruition and people loving it and driving it wholeheartedly. And, um, whenever you see a car spotter, 
crowding around the car, you know that something has sparked their curiosity as well. And I think that that curiosity is something that's just so genuine that everyone who who is you know you cannot fight that you, know? you can't put on a show you can't mask that it, it is it is raw it is what it is <laughs> what what would you say is the most uh rewarding part of 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 what you do it's funny that you asked me this now because it's a new sensation that i've just encountered and it is seeing the product on the road um and the smile that it that it brings, particularly in this case, as you know Chiro very well, see how how happy Chiro is with it. That that is that is something that that means a lot, and I think that is something to to work towards in the future with every single product. Yeah, it's amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, in terms of going forward, then where where do you see? the uh the the uh human name going well we have a plan i i cannot speak too openly about it because um i want to keep it uh want to keep it so close to my heart uh but i can definitely say that the first phase of the brand will remain for now with just bumpers the first phase and um, as I said, working with Lamborghinis is absolute honor. They're, they're an insane canvas and platform. It's just amazing. And this is also a reason why our logo is a shield within on top of a shield, a smaller shield, uh, because we wouldn't, frankly, be able to exist if it weren't for the iconic legacy to, to, to work with, to work on. Um, and this is this is how we honor in this particular case, Lamborghini. So that's all I can say right now. Okay, okay. Uh, no, I, mean, I, I I'm so so excited for what's ahead. What's your um, what's your take on the uh, on the new Countach? Well, the the uh, the the re, I suppose the um, what do you call it? It's it's like a it's like a like an honor, like a like a nod to the to the original Countach. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a very interesting piece of automotive design. And I think that they're already sold out. And it's, a, it's already a success by so many definitions. Um, personally, if I would have uh, been granted the insane opportunity to, to be involved in, at any level... I think what would have also been very interesting, and this is just me being curious again, to interesting to see is, um, you know, the, the Countach, the original back then, it was so futuristic. And I think that's what made it the Countach. And um, because no one understood, like, is it even a car, you know? <laughs> and I think... Um, the Countach particularly is, is one of these cars that what made it the Countach is the fact that it wasn't of that decade. And I think it's amazing how Lamborghini have included a lot of design elements. And like I said, it is, it is a difficult, difficult procedure to consider so many things at once, packaging, 
and DNA and there's there's also there's also financial aspects to everything, right? So there's they've done a very very good job at uh, what they've created. Personally, I think it would have been also interesting to see a design that is of the future, something that is representing what they think Lamborghini or what cars would look like in 2040. Um, cause mm. that, that would have been also an element of the, of the Countach, uh, that makes it a Countach, a Countach. Uh, they use the Aventador platform, which makes a lot of sense and it's a smart choice. Uh, personally, if, uh, there would have been a, a world in which that would have been possible, it would be crazy cool to see what their take on 2040 would have been. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 it's really interesting. I mean, I know many, many people who want to start a career or start to look into entrepreneurship and, and have their own brand. And, um, just as, as, as someone who is already doing that and someone who is an entrepreneur, someone who's in business, someone who is very much in the creative space, what would you say are the top three or top five qualities you think um, are important to be to be successful in the creative entrepreneurship space? Hmm. Um, I think really I can answer that with, with one, actually. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, and, and the one would be just to do, just to do and, and, and think less. <clears throat> Sorry, <clears throat> just do more and and faster. I'm not saying that you should sacrifice on quality um, or anything like that. What I mean is, if you want that feedback, get it yesterday, because then today you could already be where you want to be probably in a week from now if you wait to get that feedback. Um, this is very broad, of course, but just do and and no hesitation, right? Um, personally, I think that's always been an interesting phase for me when I realized, wait a minute, let's just think, let's just think for a moment, right? Um, uh, when it comes to feedback and stages, bureaucracy, administrative tasks, just, just getting it done is, is also good because it doesn't postpone, you don't build up any kind of anxiety, you get, you know, you, you know where you stand sooner and then you'll already have the answers faster. Yeah. You know, it's when I think of people like yourself um, and I think about developing a career in the, in the creative space, particularly entrepreneurship and having your own brand, I often think of Steve Jobs and how he was so clear about, almost stubbornly clear about what he wanted uh, versus what people thought users wanted. And, you know, in the, the, the example I can think of is, um, you know, USB slots, right? And him saying, I don't want, uh, well, I'm not sure if it was USB slots, but there was something else, but it was like the connections, how many connections should there be to a, to a computer? And he thought there should be like no more than one or two. But everyone out there said to him, no, it should be like 10, 12, 15, because people love to connect everything and anything to the, to the computer. And I suppose one thing that I was wondering personally is, you know, to, to what degree is there a, 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 a bit of a, 
inherent kind of conflict between what you've got in your head and what people want and 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 to what degree have you have you got to tell them what they think they want <laughs> um as opposed to constantly listening to what people are saying if that if that kind of makes sense somewhat yeah it does actually um huh. you know it's a funny it's a funny thing to think of because at at university we were um advised that premium products now you can interpret and and listeners please you can interpret what you want into the category of premium premium products give you endless options you can choose and you'd think that is uh added value and that should be luxury but luxury dictates luxury tells you there's a limited amount and take it or leave it and i think that that is very interesting cuz to provide more options means to add more value to the procedure to the process of customizing and uh, but there are many brands out there particularly in fashion that dictate they say you know you can get it in 24 months you can get this handbag for example right and uh, take it or leave it you need to sign up and it's it is really dictating terms and it's interesting to see that it works <laughs> and um I think finding finding a real balance between those is something to strive for for any brand if it's within their interest um because dictating it eliminates the the process of any customer to feel connected to how they chose it um and at the same time limiting Uh, access is naturally a very interesting and seductive approach for any yeah. product on the market as well. So I think to find a, a find a sweet spot between that is would be adding value um, on, on more levels as well. So uh, it's something to aspire to. For me personally, for for many designers out there, for many people, I mean that is that is a tough hill to climb though, and it's it's um, an exciting hill though. I suppose also I guess I mean I know one things that I've I've read about you is that you're quite keen to create a community um and I'm sure you've got a community already but you know to, to what degree is is community building an important part of what you do and and how have you gone about in just a brief words if you don't mind um your your sort of your advice for those seeking to build a community that I suppose transcends beyond just a service or a product but actually creating that kind of place for people to interact and at least feel like they're actually part of something bigger than just themselves you know i mean it's still something it's it's a moving target for me personally so i'm still i'm still um not where i want to have you know want to be yet and that is of course a, a very very exciting hill to climb but when it comes to community it's it's really all about enjoying each other's company and and connecting on a mutually respecting eye level and there's something that is is you have in common and that you know that even if you are thousands of miles away 
and you don't connect for several months at a time, all of those things don't matter because there is something that always that you can connect about. And I think that's the definition of community. Uh, you can always come together under any circumstances and bond regarding this one similarity. Many times in communities, then the friendships develop because of probably geographical proximities and other factors. But ultimately, I think community, in, in this case, building an automotive product is something that regardless of where in the world you are, you can bond about this one thing that connects you. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, but perhaps uh, a, a really... I mean, one that I, I often ask all my all my guests is... Um, and it might be a little bit too deep, but, but I'm, I'm hoping it... Um, it will help to inspire some some people. Is uh, for you, Sean. What would you want your your legacy to be? Ah, <laughs> it's too soon to answer a question like this. But, uh, it, I'm still forming it. Uh, all I know is that I love doing anything with cars, frankly, and having the opportunity. To, to build parts is, is very, very nice. It's something that's fulfilling. Um, my legacy is should <laughs> just be, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm dedicating my life to working around cars and I'm curious to see where it brings me. Yeah, well, I, I genuinely can't wait to see, to see what else comes out of, out of your amazing organization and um just based on what i've seen based on what you've done for chiro and just having been on your website and having been on your instagram which is there's just so many exciting stuff there do you mind reminding or just, let, or just letting anyone who's listening where they can uh, where they can find you or find out more about your company yeah uh, like all these things are are still in development our, our website is forever uh, a, a moving target as well and um, reveals are always moving targets and, and our Instagram is, is going to be a, a reflection of all of these things as well. Whenever we have interesting content to share it with, with supporters, with people who support and really uh, are curious as well to see what's happening. Um, but yeah, uh, Instagram is, is, a, is a fantastic tool that uh, we spend a lot of time behind and uh, are always available on in DMs and, of course, our email contacts. Perfect. Sean, thank you so much for your time uh, this, this, this morning here in the UK. Um, it's been such a pleasure speaking to you. And, uh, yeah, I, I think I speak on behalf of many, many people out there. We can't wait to see you. Uh, what, what the future holds for you and your uh, and your company. Thank you so much. No, the pleasure, as I said, it was all mine. Um, thank you for taking the time. And uh, it's it's an honor to be on this podcast also because, it, you know, you, you're very professional. I can see the, uh, the the caliber of questions and the structure behind it. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be involved. No, thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.